The two men hunched over, showing the tops of their heads to the harsh wind that pushed itself mercilessly over the barren landscape, with nothing to stop its momentum or slow it down. They were used to the Siberian weather, but on this day it felt as if Mother Nature was telling them to go back, to forget what they had been told to do. It wouldn't be worth it. The lamps they carried above their heads did little to cut into the darkness of the midday. Time often has no distinct meaning in the meaner parts of the world, Siberia included. It could have been the middle of the night, and the two men would not have known any significant difference. Might as well lay down and take it as a gift. It's more noble than a public execution. Don't be stupid, Ilya. This is not a death sentence, but a chance for glory in the eyes of Comrade Lenin, the one called Marius said. You would think that. Can't you see what's right in front of your face? Ilya said, without a hint of irony in his voice, given their current condition. A fool's errand, nothing more. Then why are you still looking at the map? Marius said. His comrade had no answer for them, and despite what either of them might have thought about the purpose or usefulness of what they were doing, they continued onward. The map that Ilya was consulting wasn't really a map. It was a scrap of burlap sack. It still smelled of potatoes, which he was forced to notice every time he brought the scrap right up to his eyes to see what was written there in sloppy red paint. It was a set of directions to a specific set of coordinates in the center of Siberia. The way was impassable by wheeled vehicles because of snowdrifts. On foot, with the aid of well-made snowshoes, was the best bet which explained Ilya and Maria's unenviable position. The two men had been flabbergasted at the summons they had received a month previous. They were good soldiers of the victorious Red Army, but not distinguished by any means. Their greatest triumph in the war had been to stay alive, as it had been for countless others in that bloody conflict. When the war ended, they had a relatively easy posting and spent most of their time drinking and gambling well-earned spoils of victory. It was during one of these bouts of unprofessionalism on base that their commanding officer had informed them that they were wanted at the Kremlin. They burst out laughing, at first thinking that their commanding officer was pulling their leg. There are easier ways to get our booze, Ilyas said, Captain Kromba, than asking us to leave it here for you to drink it all. While the two men smiled, their captain remained stony-faced. If you return from the Kremlin, you will have mop duty for a month. I suggest you make yourselves more presentable. A car will be here in twenty minutes. With that, he turned on his heel and left Ilya and Maria to ponder their fates. The two men had scrambled to try to sober up, with relative success, and a mere half-hour later they found themselves in front of the most powerful man in the Eastern Hemisphere. He was exactly what he looked like in the papers and on the flags, bold but menacing, his features sharply defined against the pale background of his face. His features announced themselves with creases of the skin and the black shadows within. His eyes were narrow, and he had dimples that were far from endearing. Still, he held his hands out in a gesture of welcome to the two bewildered soldiers who found themselves approaching the National Patriarch. He flattered the veterans of the war and insisted they have a bit to drink. 
Much better than what's in the barracks, I assure you, he said, as he tipped some more clear courage into their glasses. It was only after they had spent more than an hour together reminiscing about the war that he really got down to why he wanted to talk to them. He told them that he had heard good reports of their actions in combat. He told them how they were highly recommended, and it could only be them who set out to do what he was asking. What he did not tell them was that this was not the first time he had made this particular speech to two soldiers. They were, in fact, the fourth recipients of the speech, and if they did not succeed, they would not be the last. But the leader of the Union had a good feeling about these two. They were just stupid enough that perhaps they wouldn't lay down in the gloom and die. Maybe, just maybe, they would believe for long enough to help him achieve glory beyond reckoning.